Chapter Twenty of the Night Horseman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Night Horseman by Max Brand. Chapter Twenty, The Coming. Then a padding step, light, lighter than the sound of the softest thought. It was passing near. The faint breeze blew the sound to them, around them, behind them. Each man felt as if some creature were stalking him, unseen. Next, it appeared by magic against the blue-black of the night, the head of a great wolf, quite black, shaggy, with sharply pointed ears, and the eyes stared at them, green eyes with lights that swirled as the flame jumped in the throat of the lamp. For a long moment the horror lasted. Then the head, as it had come, disappeared, and the light, light footfall faded away. Buck Daniels had risen now. The sound of his whisper made them start. I'm going up to my room and lock the door. For God's sakes, keep him away. And so he stole soundlessly away. And then they heard the creaks which announced his progress up the stairs. Not Buck Daniels alone. In the deadly silence, Kate rose to her feet. And the old man, the invalid, he with the dead body and the living brain, rose from his couch and stood as erect as a soldier on parade. The doctor was conscious of repeating to himself, hurriedly, a formula something like this. The thing which is coming is human. It cannot be more than human. As long as it is human, it is nothing to fear. The laws of truth are irrevocably fixed. The laws of science will not change. Yet, in spite of this formula, he was deadly cold as if a wind were blowing through his naked soul. It was not fear, it was something beyond fear, and he would not have been otherwhere for any reward. All his mind remained poised, expectant, as the astronomer waits for the new star which his calculations have predicted to enter the field of his telescope. He caught the sound of another horse coming, far different even to his unpracticed ear from the beat of hoofs which announced the coming of Buck Daniels. The rhythm of their fall was slower, as if the stride of the animal were much longer. He pictured a mighty creature with a vast mane blown back against the chest of a giant rider. There was a murmur from Kate. Dan, my dear, my dear. Then he heard a padding footfall, hardly louder than the light, light step of the wolf. The knob of the door turned slowly, Without a sound, it opened, and a man stepped in. He was not larger than the doctor, a slender fellow, almost dapper in his dress, with hardly a sign of travel about him, except that the brim of his sombrero was folded back from his face as if from continual pressure of wind. These things Randall Bryan noted vaguely. What he was sharply aware of were the eyes of the man. He had the feeling that he had seen them before. He remembered the yellow light that had swirled in the eyes of the wolf at the window. The newcomer flashed a glance about the room, yet for all its speed it seemed to linger an instant on each face, and when it crossed the stare of Byron the doctor shrank. "'Where is Buck?' asked the man. "'I've come for him.' As if in answer the great shaggy dog slipped through the entrance past his master and glided across the room. As he passed, Kate held out a hand to him. 
She called softly, Bart. But she was greeted with a silent baring of fangs, and she caught her hand back against her breast, with the tears springing in her eyes. On the other side of the room, the black dog paused and looked back to his master, while Byron realized with a shudder that the door before which it stood was the door through which Buck Daniels had disappeared. Straight to that door, Barry stepped, and Byron realized with an eerie emotion that the footfalls made no sound. Before he reached the door, however, the girl started forward and sprang before him. With her outstretched arms, she barred the way. Her skirt brushed almost in the face of the dog, and the beast shrank away, not in fear, but crouching in readiness to leap. The sharp ears twitched back. A murderous snarl rolled up from between the wicked teeth. Yet she did not cast a single glance at him. She faced the greater danger. She was saying, "'Whatever Buck did, it wasn't done to hurt you, Dan. It was done for your own sake, and for Dad's sake. You shan't pass here.' From his position, the doctor could not see the face of Dan Barry, but he guessed at it through the expression of Kate. Such terror and horror were in her eyes, as though she were facing a death's head inches away. Then he saw the slender hand of Barry rise, and move towards the girl slowly, trembling, as though one fierce impulse urged him to thrust her to one side, and as though another held back his arm. The doctor could not watch the girl longer. Fear and pity were wringing him, as he lowered his glance to the floor. Then he heard her cry, "'Have you forgotten me, like Bart? "'Like Bart, have you forgotten me, Dan?' "'His hand fell to his side, and he glided back from her. "'But now Byron could see that the eyes of Barry "'were looking past the girl, "'as though he stared through the solid wood of the door "'and found his prey beyond it. "'The stranger slipped towards the door by which he had entered, "'with the great dog slinking at his heels. "'Kate Cumberland leaned heavily against the wall, her arm thrown across her face, but there was no consciousness of her in the face of Barry. Yet at the very door he paused and straightened. Byron saw that he was staring towards Joe Cumberland, and the old man reached a bony hand out. "'Oh, lad,' he said softly, "'I've been waiting for you years and years, seems like.' Barry crossed the room as noiselessly, as swiftly as a flying shadow. "'Sit down,' he commanded and Byron caught a faint ring in the voice, like the shiver of metal striking steel. Joe Cumberland obeyed without a word, and then lay back at full length upon the couch. A palsy had seized on him, and the hand which rested on the shoulder of Dan Barry was shaking. By the couch came the tall dog, and crouched, staring up in the master's face. Then the younger man turned his face toward Byron and the girl, those thin-cut nostrils expanded, the lips compressed, and Byron dared not look into the flare of the eyes. "'Who done this?' asked Barry, and still the shiver of cold metal rang in his voice. "'Who done this?' "'Steady, lad,' said Joe Cumberland faintly. "'There ain't no call for fightin'. Steady, Dan boy, and don't leave me.' Byron caught a signal from Kate, and followed her obediently from the room. "'Let them be alone,' she said. "'Impossible,' protested the doctor. "'Your father is lapsed into a most dangerous condition. 
The physical inertia which has held him for so long is now broken, and I look for a dangerous mental and nervous collapse to accompany it. A sedative is now imperative. He laid his hand on the knob of the door to return, but the girl blocked his way. Don't go in, she commanded feebly. I can't explain to you. All I can say is that Dad was the one who found Dan Barry, and there's something between them that none of us understand. But I know that he can help Dad. I know Dad is in no danger while Dan is with him. A pleasant superstition, nodded the doctor. But medicine, my dear Miss Cumberland, does not take account of such things. Dr. Byron, she said, rallying a false strength for the argument, I insist. Don't ask me to explain. In that case, he answered coldly, I cannot assume responsibility for what may happen. She made a gesture of surrender weakly. Look back in on them now, she said. If you don't find father quiet, you may go into him. Dr. Byron obeyed, opening the door softly. He saw Joe Cumberland prone, of course, upon the couch. One hand lay, as usual, across his breast, but the other was at his side, clasped in the hands of Dan Barry. The old cattleman slept. Yes, there was no doubt that for the first time in many days he slumbered soundly. The lean, narrow chest rose and fell with deep, slow breaths. The eyes were closed, and there was no twitching of muscles to betray ragged nerves or a mind that dreamed fiercely while the body slept. Far over the sleeping man leaned the stranger, as if he were peering closely into the closed eyes of Joe Cumberland. There was a tenseness of watching and waiting in his attitude, like the runner on the mark, or like the burden-bearer lifting a great weight. And Byron gathered, in some mysterious manner, the impression that Barry sent through his hands and into the body of Cumberland a continual stream of nervous strength, an electric thing. Nonsense, of course. And it was nonsense also to think that the huge dog, which lay staring up into the face of the master, understood all this affair much better than the practiced mind of the physician. Yet the illusion held with Randall Byron, in spite of all his skepticism. He was certain that he had made not the slightest sound in opening the door, but presently the head of the watcher turned slowly, and Byron was looking into those same yellow, terrible eyes. At the same instant the sick man moaned faintly. The doctor closed the door as softly as he had opened it, and turned a drawn face upon Kate Cumberland. "'I don't understand it. It isn't possible,' he whispered. "'No one understands,' said the girl, and smiled mirthlessly. "'Don't try to, Dr. Byron. Go to bed and sleep if you can. Good night.' "'But you,' said Byron, following her, "'are almost as ill as your father. Is there nothing I can do for you?' "'You?' she asked, surprised. "'No, nothing.' but there is not the slightest color in your face, and you are trembling, Miss Cumberland. She did not seem to hear him. Will he stay, she asked of herself. Will he leave before the morning? I shall see that he stays, said the doctor. I will stay here outside the door and see that he does not leave, if you wish. Once more she smiled in that baffling manner. Could you keep the wind from blowing, Dr. Byron? If I thought that he could be kept, she stopped. He has forgotten us. He has forgotten all of us except Dad. And if Dad cannot keep him, nothing will keep him. It is useless for you to wait here. 
Good night again, Dr. Byron. He watched her up the stairs. By the dim light, he saw her hand catching at the balustrade, as if she were drawing herself up, step by step. When she reached the landing and turned half towards him, he saw that her head was fallen. "'Not a glance, not a thought for me,' murmured the doctor. "'But if the stranger does leave—' Instead of finishing the muttered sentences, he drew a chair back against the wall and sat down with folded hands to wait. End of chapter 20